Hello. Hey, John. Merlin, man. Mm. Are you there? Yeah, just thinking. I'm thinking. I'm thinking. John, it will come back to you. Oh, yeah, that's nice. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, for a while there, I was trying to sing a song for Jonathan Colton when I talked to him on the phone. Mm-hmm. And the <sighs> the only thing I could come up with was Jonathan Colton helps your hamburger help you make a great meal. <laughs> And it didn't make any sense to either one of us. Perfect. But, uh, but there it is. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and then as time went on, it evolved to Jonathan Colton. Helps your Jonathan Colton. Jonathan Colton, not Michael Bolton. Got nothing rhymes with Bolton. Uh, nothing really rhymes with Colton. I've been thinking. Hmm. I've been thinking a lot about Benjamin Franklin since mm. I talked to him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You, you know that always gets my attention. Yeah, I'm convinced now that Benjamin Franklin is more or less responsible for the French Revolution. Hmm. <laughs> he was. I'm gonna I'm gonna pause and just do a little tidying around the office. Please continue. <laughs> <laughs> really? Was, huh? Wow. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Hmm? He was the American. I'm sorry. Ambassador. I, I just jumped in. I didn't know if you were still talking. He was the American ambassador. Benjamin Franklin, single-handedly responsible. Yeah, to Louis XVI's Versailles. Now picture, if you will, picture the scene. Mm. Ben Franklin. Okay, I'm ready. He's waltzing around at Versailles in his, in his intentionally shabby American clothes. And he's, he's screwing girls left and right. And he's he's uh, he's got a he's got a a, a witticism a bone mo for everything. Mm-hmm. He's doing his Ben Franklin rag, <laughs> and all the aristocracy is like this guy, this guy. He's incredible. This Ben Franklin, mm-hmm. and it's planting the seed. We got to get rid of this king. The hmm. Americans are onto something. This Ben Franklin is such a character. We want a little bit more of this action. Hmm. You know, they're pooping behind curtains and doing that whole, f- that whole French thing, all dressed in pink silk. Mm-hmm. And Franklin's just, you know, he's wearing his tweeds or whatever, his American, he's probably got sweatpants on. <laughs> and they're thinking, this is what freedom looks like. Is this uh, still in the colonial days? Or is yeah. this post uh Well, war? you know, the uh, 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 French Revolution was 1789. American Revolution was 1776, so there's this little in, interregnum there. Mm-hmm. And you're you saying know, he, the, he introduced uh, uh, la, la virality. Way. He brought some vi- viral uh, po- politics. Yeah, see, Louis XVI, he, he, he hated the British so much that he thought that, he thought that Franklin and the Americans were like on his side. He was focused on England, right? So he thought that allying himself with Americans was going to work out for him because we we were all fighting the British. But what he didn't realize was that Franklin was shagging uh, for all lines mm-hmm. and spreading sedition in his that's, own uh, that's backyard. That's the uh, 17th, version, 17th century version of a stress bump. He was basically, Franklin was a giant bald stress bump in Louis XVI's underwear drawer. And uh, and then uh, then then when it's time when the when the French are like fed up, they they have this role model. They have this American 
idea. And they're like, we can do this. Who, who would We're he, all going to be Franklins. Who would he talk to in order to spread that? He's talking to kind of like the um, monarchical middle managers. He's talking to people, gentry. He's talking well, to people you know, who would benefit from um, shaking off the shackles. The court. The, you know, it, it, when you look at the aristocracy in Europe at, at that time, you know, we always think of England. England had like several hundred really rich, really powerful families. But France, the way their aristocracy worked, there were like 50,000 uh, aristocratic families in France. There were all these little little minor barons and... You know, so the, the court of Louis the Sixteenth is this big, he has this big house and there's just there's aristocracy everywhere. They're they're in the they're in the flower garden, they're they're uh, you know, behind the cupboard in the kitchen. There are people everywhere and they're all there's this rank and this hierarchy or this <clears throat> the squirearchy. And <laughs> how long have you been sitting on that one? That's a oh, good one. Well, I've been sitting on what one? Squirearchy, that's pretty good. <laughs> Yeah, squirearchy, squirearchy, <laughs> all the little squires, and uh, and Franklin is there, and America is very fashionable at this time, right? Because because hey, we're we had a revolution. We're we're like uh, we're the we're the Justin Bieber of nations, brand new, swoopy hair, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so Franklin, and also you know. Lafayette was a hero of the American Revolution. That's he what I was, was going to ask. They, they, they helped out big time. We couldn't have done oh, it yeah. without them. They oh, were yeah, the Germans, no, right? Yeah, they, they were. They were well. The uh, you know, in fact, the Saxons fought on behalf of of England against the Americans, but the French poured money into the Revolution. So we were we were fast friends, big bros. But Franklin, I'm telling you, he was over there. This was his posting, and I think a lot of the, I think the Americans, uh, you know, I think the continental types sent Franklin to France just to get him out of their hair. And he was there just a swinging dick. Franklin, oh, all, all like slyness and, and he was kind of, he was, I think he was, he was, he was a goer, if you know what I mean. He was a finger in the pooper. Mm. That seems pretty French. Mm Mm-hmm. So, anyway, then French Revolution, then Napoleon, mm-hmm. and we know that that leads to World War I. So, basically, Franklin, responsible for the Holocaust. <laughs> ah, I'm going to need to make a chart for I that. I woke up early this morning. You did? I was lying in bed, and I was going, wait a minute. So, hmm, Interesting. But I really believe that I really believe that there's some meat to this. Franklin started the French Revolution theory. I was reading. I, I don't want to click too much here, but I was reading a story the other day. One of the many things I didn't finish reading this week about Franklin and how um, it's interesting. There's there's two people I've been thinking about this week: Glenn Gould and uh, Benjamin Franklin. Hmm. Two people who learned how to um, deliberately kind of work their eccentricities. Glenn Gould's too much. We've got to save him for another show. Hmm. Um, very interesting guy. But, but Benjamin Franklin, I think, was entirely he, – he basically – for example, the, the, the classic example that most of us know and then unknow, it turns out, the, the whole – like people have tried to replicate the whole kite and the key in a jar <laughs> lightning thing. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it seems, based on what I can gather, that it either wouldn't work and or you would die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
right? <laughs> okay, right. But, you know, the thing is, he was there. So he knows whether or not it worked. The story went out. It was contemporary at the time. People knew about Mr. Franklin and his stuff. He had the stoves and whatnot. And, um, and uh, he apparently did very little to dispel that myth or to say – to dispel that you know, story or I guess – I don't I, – he may have said, yeah, it to- totally happened. I was there. I'm Ben Franklin. I'm a big swinging dick. Right. But, but he, he enjoyed his uh, celebrity. I mean I, I have to imagine that it helped him uh, get the tip into a lot of butts uh, continentally or otherwise mm-hmm. to, have, to have these things about him. And, yeah. and like, like the equally annoying Oscar Wilde, he, he was great at a bon mot. Mm-hmm. French mm-hmm. French phrase mm-hmm. and also uh, a Vietnamese sandwich. Is that right? The bun mot? Yeah, the bun mot. It's a delicious. It's got the uh, carrots and the sliced pork. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you want to call it pork, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Vietnam French colony. I'm just pulling it all together. Just right. for what it's Vietnam worth. French colony. Ben Franklin mm-hmm. responsible for Vietnam. Bien sûr. Yeah, the French, the Vichy were were if it were for the Vichy, you know, French French first country to send their uh, send their Jews to the camps. First non German country. Oh, oh God. Hmm. Mm. Yep, I'm, I'm I'm with you. So for anyway, I yeah. just think it's interesting because um, you know there's all those. Uh, it, it, I think the original turns out things for me were dispelling a lot of these myths in the days before Snopes, when you could just read something like the People's Almanac or the Book of Lists one through three. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I learned a lot of what I should be unlearning from those books. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, well, and <clears throat> far be it from you or I to ever subscribe to the great man theory of history. We don't believe in great men. Hmm. We believe in... I think we have at least three episodes uh, (laughs) stating something to the contrary. We believe in the small actions of many, many, many anonymous people over the the centuries. Egalite. Yeah. There's no no theory of great men in in our uh, podcast. May know. But in this one instance, I think think we can say that Ben Franklin is the wheel of... Upon whom history turns. Oh, God, I don't even know where to fucking begin with this. So, first of all, (laughs) I think you and I have to look at Ben Franklin and Mm. be both awed and furious. Well, yeah, Ben Franklin, uh, if I was going to be, if I was going to go back to the Continental Congress, Mm -hmm. I'm afraid for myself how much I would be the Ben Franklin. You know, you want to be the Jefferson. Do you have a sense of what time they started each day? Mm. <laughs> I think they started early. John, a lot of those guys were farmers. They were used think, to getting up I early. I think they started early, but I think Franklin rolled in. I think he rolled in a little bit later. You threw a lumber like Benny, and you're going to come in whenever it fucking suits you. That's right. And you know the thing oh, I'm is sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I was busy, uh, I was busy <laughs> inventing something that will change your life. Yeah, exactly. I was I was inventing eyeglasses. Oh, I'm sorry. I was saving your forebears from a from a wretched agrarian future. Yeah, you know he's a lot older than than most of those guys. Yes, and so I think he rolled in whenever the hell he wanted. And, and he was all, he was born in America, right? Yeah. That's ben important. Franklin. I think he was born in America. He's one of the original Americans. He's I an think. OG. That's right. He's an o- he's an OGA. Yeah. Well. Okay. So uh, you know, on the one hand, you know, early bed, early to rise. You know, poor Richard's almanac. Um, you know, he, he definitely he, don't want to be Adams in that situation. Even though he he was a great man and he wrote a lot of great stuff, he you just got a sense that he was a very tense guy. Well, I think he was the Salieri uh, to uh, to yeah. uh, Franklin's Mozart because I mean, John Adams did a lot of shit. But I think he's got to be sitting around, uh, guys, over here, like I'm doing think, all the heavy lifting. I think Jefferson was the Mozart in that analogy. Oh, yes. Okay. I'll accept yeah. that. And then who was F. Murray Abraham? <laughs> was he in The Omen? I think he might have been in The Omen. I'm trying to remember. I never saw The Omen. Man, I would hate to be seated next to F. F. Murray Abraham on a plane. 
There are so many people on the list of people I would hate to be seated next to on a plane. Oh, God, where to begin? <laughs> but all I'm saying, all I'm saying is it's incredibly frustrating that this great man got so much accomplished. If he did half of the stuff that he appears to have done, it's, incred- yeah. it's incredibly frustrating. Yeah, well, and, you know, particularly, you get, you get the sense that he was a tinkerer mm-hmm. and, a, and a polymath, kind of a da Vinci. Well, that he was also that he was, not to interrupt you, but also that he was confident. That, that he would say, when, uh, the one thing I love about a tinkerer who actually ends up producing things, in addition to the ability to synthesize information and so forth, is that ability to go, hmm, this might be a thing. I'll spend half a day on this. Ha-ha! Bifocals. <laughs> what? What is a bifocal? You'll see. Literally. <laughs> Oh. Don't you know? But yeah, you and I are sitting around, you know. Yeah, yeah. I also yeah, want to come sitting back. Around devoting ourselves, devoting our entire lives to turning lead into gold. <laughs> and <laughs> at the end of our lives, we have forty-two notebooks. Paracelsus, Paracelsus, my favorite <laughs> alchemist. But then, on the other hand, and this is this is this could be several episodes, but I just want your thought on this. I, I cannot help my family adequately understand how important it is for me to lay in bed. Awake, but not completely awake in the morning. And it's, and I understand I have to get up and participate in family life. I understand that, but I, I'm curious based on the kind of, uh, the dynamism that you're bringing with a discussion like Franklin to Holocaust and five easy steps. I have to tell you that when I wake up in the morning, I don't remember my dreams like I used to and I don't care because dreams are stupid, but I do wake up and I can feel this process of thoughts arranging themselves. I can feel that there are, it's almost like if I were to imagine some kind of, you know, like there's these little will-o'-the-wisps all just kind of wandering and slowly things are starting to make sense. And I feel like just about the moment I'm ready to figure everything out, my daughter comes in and wants to watch Mulan and she gets Mm -hmm. me out of bed. And I don't know, I'm curious if you have something like that. My sense is that given the opportunity, you might spend even more time in bed if you could. But I, well, I, I, think it, I, I that's my that's that, that's daddy's that's daddy's special thinky time. Yeah, just as you describe that first that 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 process of waking up and gradually coming into the world is absolutely it's the magic the magic hour for me. And if it's interrupted, I'm otherwise known as noon. <laughs> the magic hour between eleven forty five and twelve forty five. But but I. It, I love it if I if I find myself kind of coming into awakeness and I roll over and start staring up at the ceiling and all is still a dream, you know, or my, my thinking is still happening in dream language, but I'm awake. And that's a good uh, way to put it. Yeah, and I and I and I sit and process all kinds of things and and I don't I, I, I try not to interrupt that or I try not to I try not to let like my worries about the day intrude. That's a time when it's like, hmm, I wonder if Ben Franklin can be blamed for the Holocaust. Hmm. <laughs> Let me see. How do I, how do I reverse engineer there's a wisp, that? There's a wisp over here. There's a, <laughs> one of these is further away. And, and, and suddenly there's this a synaptic leap that you yeah. couldn't have if you weren't supine. Yeah. And so I, <clears throat> but then I appreciate, and this is one of the things where I, I look at the way the world works I've had I've had this experience a few times in the last month, where I have perceived someone my age, a, a, a friend or an associate. I have perceived them and their family from from uh, from one remove, like kind of peering in their window on Christmas morning. And, mm. and, and the thing about the thing about Facebook and also knowing people sort of in a wide circle is that every once in a while you get this glimpse inside someone else's home. Uh, where you really do have the van- an intimate vantage point, but you're not 
but you don't get to see how it actually is. You're just kind of looking in their window. And I've had this experience of, of, of seeing these these people that I know my age and feeling like, oh my goodness, they are adults. Oh, yeah. They're, they have an adult house, their family, their kids think of them as their parents. You know, like they are mom and dad the way that we thought about our parents. And and in the in the reflected glow of that, I, I look at my own life and I go, but I, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm not all grown up yet in that way. I mean, my, my house is not an adult's house. It is a house that is transitioning some, it's like a, <laughs> it's like a, um, a hunting lodge where a grandma bomb. I disagree. I think it, it could be, it could be a, a delirious 84 year old man's house. Easily. Right. Okay. Sure. Someone who worked in the foreign service be, for many years. He might be a super adult. <laughs> so, so that's right. A retired adult is what I, is what I <laughs> But uh, but but that perception, uh, that glimpse of other people's worlds, and then realizing that part of what makes their house adult is that no one has a half an hour in the morning to lay in bed Ugh. and let their dreams manifest. You know, all those people are waking up to a bell, and they are they are kicking it into gear, and they are going, going, going. And breakfast is at seven thirty, and let's get, let, let's get going. That's that's part of that's part of the adult problem, though. And I, this, I, I first of all, I totally agree with you. I feel exa- I feel I think I feel exactly the same way. That if anything, though, I feel like I represent a collage of different kinds and parts of adulthood. Different different adult. You're a, you're an adult quilt. Yeah, yeah. I, and the funny thing is, I can't even say that like, oh, I live like a child, but I think like an adult or anything. I think like really, my thought processes are so compartmentalized and weird. You think like four adults. I think like four different adults, the four horsemen of the adulthood. Because I mean, there's there's parts of me that I think are I, I would like to think are, you know, unfortunately not the very useful parts. But for example, I mean, while I'm not a Buddhist, uh, because I don't you know meditate and stuff, like there's this part of me that acceptance is just a huge part of my life in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. As maybe evident, there aren't that many things that I like pine for. Mm-hmm. I don't like sit around and go, oh, if only I had this other thing. And it's mm-hmm. a source of, I don't want to say pride, but a source of, you know, the feeling of like if you've accomplished something that used to be a problem. And yeah. I, I like that part of myself that I honestly can roll my eyes about things other people obsess over and, and, and handle that. But at the same time, if I'm lucky, I wake up in a dream state. But other times, I realize how many adult things I am fucking up every single day, and I make yeah. I make my noise. I go, I go, yeah. hmm. and, and <laughs> whenever I wake up and go, hmm. and I, if I get two of those, two of those become, a, hmm. and I don't want to make that noise. Well, the thing is that you're that's the, best, the bad adult part. Your acceptance is a thing that you and I look at and say, "Well, that is very adult." Like that is a that is an adult that I aspire to that that I aspire to be someone who has this kind of long view but in fact uh relative to this looking in other people's uh windows on christmas morning uh adulthood by their standards or by by normal standards is not at all about accepting the long view it is you know what what keeps that engine running is the sort of acquisitive nature of we 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 want a bigger house we want to we want mm-hmm. a nicer living room. We want more stuff from Restoration Hardware. We want more Williams Sonoma uh, kitchen appliances. I mean, that is the stuff that you look in the window and envy. Like, oh my God, they have a bread maker. Mm-hmm. 
all, and, their, all their all their kitchen chairs match. And so, you know, my <laughs> they kitchen only have chairs. one kind of fork. Wow, my, my kitchen chairs match because I found them in my barn. <laughs> but and somebody else arranged the matching. You when like barn seating. When I got to this house, I was like, "Huh, I wonder what's in the barn." I went over there. I was like, "Hmm." Kitchen table and matching chairs. I'll, I'll, Check. I'll move those over into the house. And now again, though, that clears your field of vision because now that's off your mental uh, slide puzzle for having to go to the uh, the thrift store. Right. Well, my forks don't match, and I, and that's a source of personal problems. The forks that I have that match, we've mostly lost, so we're very close to falling back into the non-matching fork problem. Anyway, the, sorry. Go ahead. The thing I like about your kitchen is that stainless steel table. That was one of the best things we ever did. It yeah. changed it. I mean, given the constraints, and we live in a very, our house was built in 1928, and it feels like it. It's really weird. Like a lot of San Francisco houses, I don't, I can't, I can't promise this because it might have been built as flats, but yeah, it was probably built as flats. Because, you know, in San Francisco, especially in the central neighborhoods, most of those houses start as one giant house. Yeah. And Yours get, feels like it was built as flats. I think so. I think so. But I mean, I don't think it's flats for, you know, I don't know. I think, I think maybe it's a flat for uh, a divorced sergeant in 1946 mm. well 1928 i guess it was somebody who's about to lose all their money anyway but, but, <laughs> but somebody somebody with a snap brim fedora and uh and spats ah. hey see <laughs> Bob, bob's your uncle there's there's so many things about our kitchen in particular that are completely wrong that any i talk to my friends who have all the mod cons as my mother-in-law says and uh you know uh, modern conveniences and so like we have a single sink if you don't know what all the Bucket. mod cons are, Google it, damn it. Well, I can't always count on that. And, but we don't have, for example, a big one, big one. You know yeah. I cook, and I, I make a lot of meat. I know you do. We do not have a hood. We do not have a vent. Oh, interesting. What do you do when the house fills with smoke? We turn oh, off, the house we, fills we turn, with smoke. We, we, yeah, precisely. We turn off the smoke alarm and open windows, mm. and basically a greasy fog hangs over my daughter's room for two hours. <laughs> have you ever thought about just having a shop vac in there to, and just leaving it on while you cook? I had not, but I'm writing it down. But see, I don't want to get I want to get too wound up in this, but but I think it does does get to an important point. Now, when I cook, here's the other problem. Now, 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 now should, should should that matter? Well, if we just had a hot plate and we're like I don't know, braising tuna fish, it wouldn't be a problem. But oh, we also have a really shitty oven. Uh, right. range and oven and so we got like, we got like five btus and so what i have yeah. to do i have to heat a pan up for like four hours i gotta cook with coconut oil because it's the only way i can get a, a sear so i make this incredibly hot pan i throw it in and, and it's i mean it's like a i don't know it's like some kind of cajun hut the place just fills with smoke <laughs> and so that and you know we don't, we don't have a dishwasher uh-huh. you know we got all because there's no place to put a dishwasher well, got f- some of this though is the is that you are renters yeah and you, you 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 don't feel like you can improve your kitchen with your own money because it's not your place. We also we have a wonderful relationship of 13 years now with our landlords, but they are literally the cheapest people in the world. And you have to be cautious if you've got a cheap landlord. And no offense, they're great people. And yeah. I, I don't think they listen to the show, but but they're great people. But you have uh, yeah. to be cautious about what you ask them to fix. Oh, right. Because they bring in a little bit of what I secretly refer to as old world Irish craftsmanship. <laughs> so like for example when our furnace our original 1928 furnace broke i've told you this and i and i told our landlord who's a wonderful sweet guy he said i haven't he- had heat in the house in 20 years <laughs> even though he has like three chill he had three children this is a man in his, in his 80s and yeah. even though he's a multi-millionaire because yeah, yeah, he bought yeah. all these houses when they were 20 to sixty thousand dollars, and he doesn't have heat in his house at all he's saying I don't know. He's got like broken windows. He's he's it's old world. And so like if you ask them to come over, we had for example some tiles were falling 
in the in the Bathel area. Yeah. And it, we did that thing where if you push the wall, the wall would give an oh. eighth of an inch. Uh-huh. And I thought, you know what? I can take care of this. I'm a yeah, guy. Yeah, sure. Of course. <laughs> I took it down. And <laughs> basically, tools. this is the kind of thing that, that makes your kid weird. We had a hole in the wall made of mold mm. that had basically – we had a hole. Uh, I tried to patch it, and basically mold? it didn't work. I called them up. I said, hey, you know, the usual drill. Like, I, I tried to fix this myself. I don't want to be a jerk. I know you don't like fixing your own house. But they came over, and they essentially put tile over the hole. Oh, yeah. Well, that's how you do it. Well, yeah, they didn't, they didn't like, fix the, the, the underlying wall. They literally put tile over a hole in the wall. You know, that is a great description of Irish politics, too. Is that right? Yeah. They've just been tiling over the hole in Irish politics for 250 years. That's a starchy diet. But but that acceptance thing, I think, can be very important. And I think uh, a discussion that I think we'll probably get clipped off of a recent episode we did. But I was talking about back when I used to be a, a web guy. Yeah. And I'd have clients that I hadn't worked for in months who, who would call me up and complain that the internet wasn't working, like their mm-hmm. modem didn't work. Mm-hmm. And because I was the person they knew to call, the, and I would answer the phone because I'm a gentleman, I would end up having to listen to them complain. And the, and the more I tried to explain to them in the nicest way possible that I wasn't responsible for that, the angrier they got. And, and the, there's two lessons there. There's a lesson, well, two-sided lesson. On the one hand, like if I'm that guy in, in a transaction, I, I kind of want to figure out like who I'm yelling at and why and, yeah. and, and take a step back and ask myself whether this is something I need to accept. And if I'm not willing to accept it, is there something other than Google me that I can do to solve this? Mm-hmm. And then on the other end, I hope this doesn't sound like carelessness, but I have just become monumentally, universally okay with the fact that I not only can't please everybody, but if I did try to please everybody, I would screw up pleasing the people that I like. And that has become like a huge value for me that I think a lot of fucking adults need to adopt. Well, you know, we talked about this the other day in the sense that I think as people get further and further away from understanding what's going on, their sense that that perfection is still possible in that realm grows. You know what I mean? Like, if, if I don't understand what is wrong with my computer, there's nothing to keep me from thinking that my computer can still do everything I want. Yes, exactly. You know, and, mm-hmm. and when, when, you're, when you're using a hammer, your, 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 your awareness of what the hammer is capable of is pretty, pretty one-to-one, right? You don't look at a hammer and think, this hammer can make stained glass windows, you look at the hammer and you go, I get it. You just pound, it just pounds things, right? I can either pound nails or I can pound holes in the wall. That's the extent of what I can do with this. Mm-hmm. But as you, as you get more and more confused about what the capabilities of a thing are, there's nothing to, there's nothing to keep you from thinking that that thing is, that thing is capable of perfection. That's why we yell at politicians. It's why we are so mad at, it's why we're so mad at the world. We look around and we're, we're confused about what the stakes are anymore. Mm-hmm. We're confused about what, what banks even do. And so in our minds, there's no reason why these things can't be made perfect. And but, all, but we the, know, the essential all we know thing to do is, is call somebody on a, at, a, at, a cell, at, a, at a call center and scream at them. You know? Essentially yelling because of the lack of perfection in their inability or lack of desire to fix it, sort of. Right. So because right, we right. understand yeah, problem, so little about the process. The problem with my iPhone is not that... Things are imperfect, and this little machine is struggling to keep up. The problem with my iPhone is that somebody in Cupertino is being a dick <laughs> and intentionally programming it to be stupid as a as a as a project. 
like as a giant, as like a, as like a research project. And they're filming me be frustrated. They're filming me with a secret camera in my phone, be frustrated that it won't work because they are sadists, you know? And I, I think a lot of people look at their, their consumer electronics. I, I struggle with this. Look at their consumer electronics as though, as though the reason it's not working is that it's some kind of sadistic built in obsolescence rather than that we're at the dawn of this age and this stuff is just, it's just barely able to do what it is doing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just barely able to, it, it cannot keep up with our imaginations. I think, I think certainly it does, the, it does a better job not to defend uh, Cupertino, but it, it actually, if you had the misfortune to use some non Cupertino prod- products, I think you, in fact, would appreciate that they're doing a better shit job than all the other shit jobs. Yes. Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. They're... You're not going to wake up one morning and find a virus on your phone. In, 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 in 1918, I wouldn't have wanted to fly in one of the off-brand airplanes. It's Wright, Wright, Wright Brothers with no W. <laughs> but, Did but, you say White I, Brothers? The, the who? <laughs> the the Eight Brothers? Eight. Uh, but, but the Eight like, Brothers. That's a great name for a gang. The Eight Brothers. Yeah. Hello. Um, well, well, that'll be the that'll be the new game changers. <laughs> but I think this is this is one of the things that that science fiction has done to all of us, particularly those of us who love science fiction. Science fiction has leapt ahead and and become real in our minds, so that we are all we all have what we think is a pretty good sense of what interstellar space travel looks like. We have a good sense of what. Uh, you know, fusion energy looks like we have a good sense of how these technologies work. And in fact, none of those technologies exist at all. And so we live in this world where we sit around kind of with a, with a constant low level frustration. Like, why are we not, why are we Mm. not in on space battleships yet? I, I will, but you know, our imaginations are, unless we are truly, you know, the, the, the truly rare kind of very, very creative, innovative person, most of our imaginations are constrained by what's been possible in the past. And we tend, I think we tend to see, if you look at any, any decades version of science fiction, or in some cases I prefer to call speculative fiction, you'll see that it's based on iterating or making a super version of something, super dash version of, of something that already exists. So right. in the future, you know, in the fifties, everything looked like televisions and science fiction, you right. know, everything looked like rockets in the sixties and so Star, on. Star Trek, they were, all, uh, the control panel was levers. Everything and looked like a lit up room. buttons. Yeah. yeah. But you know, the, the thing that I, 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 you've read a lot more science fiction and speculative fiction than I have, I'm sure. But, but the thing that I, I like about the good stuff that I've read is that it, uh, yes, on the face of it, it is about, you know, a future where you have whatever, moving sidewalks and laser guns and things you can plug into your brain. But all the great ones, um, also the more important, the more salient part of it is these somewhat dystopian trade-offs that got us there. And yeah. I'm not just talking about Silent Green or whatever. Really, really anything that, that is not too heavy-handed is going to have based in it some idea that the thing you thought was going to turn out great is not only not great, but really complicated in a way that we never could have expected. Right. Well, and that's that's why all the the narratives in science fiction are all <clears throat> five hundred years old. I mean, Star Wars is just. Well, yeah, the the, un, the unexpected the unexpected consequences, and you know, when, when I'm in my uh, my my former somewhat former racket of trying to help people do you know work stuff, setting aside the fact that you don't have enough time to lay in bed and think about Hitler. 
mm. is that, I mean, and I think that's actually really important. I mean, they have time every day that you just don't even have to think about how quickly you're going to get your minivan on the 580. It's crucial. It is, it is crucial. And uh, that could be a whole show because I think that's, that's really huge. But the, there's something else to this though. Um, that I don't know. I, I at the risk of sounding like a college, uh, sophomore, first semester um there's this other thing that happens though and it shades into science fiction or i don't know science fiction to me is like ray gun stuff i want to think of speculative fiction i don't know if that's that's correct our, our listener john syracuse will be able to tell me if i'm anywhere I, even though he's he's into fantasy he's into yeah. like like gandalf uh, sex vampire tv shows yeah, yeah. hello gandalf sex i just started vampire. reading a fantasy comic that's pretty good called saga <laughs> but i don't want we can't get into does that it now. show naked boobs no and it's not even made by marble mm. um the uh but here's here's the thing you take your William Sonomas, you take your bread makers, you take mm-hmm. your Cupertinos. There is, for a lot of people, this vision of perfection that to anybody from the outside, you would look at and say, well, that's not really attainable. Right. But it's but it's not only not attainable, once you get into a certain uh, suburban treadmill, it seems both in, very – it seems just slightly out of reach all the time. Right, right. So, your, your bread is just – this this shy of perfection. Yeah, yeah. I, and I, I, the bread maker is a terrific idea. And to, to return to the Cupertino example, not to talk about computers, but you know, I, I had an <laughs> I, I, I've had an Apple II for whatever, or excuse me, an iPad II for a couple of years. <laughs> you have an Apple II. I have an Apple II two E two E. Yeah. No, Does I have an iPad II that is like perfectly fine. It's really great. So. Oh my gosh, there's rumors. There's going to be an iPad 3. Oh my God, what size will it be? How many pixels will it be? Can I do this? What will the aspect ratio? I can't tell you how many of my friends are writing about aspect ratio. And of course, I'm saying who fucking cares? So you know what comes out? The iPad 3. The iPad 3 comes out. It is ridiculously faster. It has a better screen that is just on another level. Everybody's so excited they run out and buy an iPad 3. So finally, perfection has been reached. And you know what happened Like in the last month? iPad mini. Plus the iPad 4. Oh, what? Yeah. What so that? now there's an iPad that's something like twice as fast as the no, iPad 3. Oh, you're kidding. Does that make our iPad 2s no longer? It's obsoleted. <laughs> it is obsolescenced. It, is, uh-huh. it has made you into a punk as Cupertino That's, bitch. Because oh, you put shit. your money on the electronic barrel head, and now you got your dick in your hand, and there's a better iPad. So suddenly, something that... I'm talking about this was in, I don't know, like March or something? You what? have a perfectly fantastic device, but now you're mad I'm, because I'm, they made a better one. I'm so mad on behalf of all those Think people. Think about bread makers. You go to William Sonoma, and you buy the SPH uh, 4516, and then mm-hmm. a few months later, they do the 4516A. And suddenly, oh. your perfection has been obsolescenced. That's so annoying. Am I, am I being a college sophomore, or is that <laughs> something to avoid? I, well, you know, I try and avoid it at all costs, but... Because it's but, not just about computers. Well, but, 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 but the problem now is that I could not, just as science fiction cannot... Per, cannot anticipate the future i could not even a year ago let alone four years ago have anticipated that and 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 this is a this is an admission that i that i hesitate to make or i mean i i still am grappling with it Mm -hmm. but i really looked at it the other day and realized that i am now spending an average of three hours a day looking at twitter Looking at my Twitter stream. Uh, I used to be worse. I used to be even worse. Because I get my news from there. I get my entertainment from there. Your provocations. I get all, I'm having all my fights with, with idiots there. 
Like all of the fights with idiots that I used to have to farm out to the world. You'd have to I, send them by courier. I used to have to go to Costco. I used to have to go to the to like a hipster bakery. I used to have to drive all over town to uh-huh. get in fights with ten. Oh my idiots. god, that's so inconvenient! You and would now, have to maintain all of those via automobile. Yeah, and now <gasps> I can sit in a get comfortable a chair and have fights with almost an unlimited stream of idiots. People, people you've never met. People I've never met. People I'm I. I and I don't mean to call this guy an idiot because I think he's very smart, but I have been having a political argument with what I think is a Dominican brother on Twitter. Now, why a Dominican monk is on Twitter, A, I don't know, but they have different rules. But he is also politically conservative, which you can imagine because he is a devout Catholic. Mm-hmm. But he's also an incredibly thoughtful monk. who he, spends is, he, is, whole- he, is he worthy of the, uh, the standoff? He is. He, he is. He's actually based in San Francisco. I don't know if he's Dominican. He could be. Uh, he could be. You know, Corsican. I don't know all the. I, well, my my. Uh, it's been a long time since I was at Jesuit school, and I don't remember all the the uh, the squirearchy of monks. Yeah, thank you. That'll do. <laughs> but but uh, getting that one. But I, I, I'm talking to this guy online, and he's, pro- he's provoking me at first. He's like, oh, you liberals think you're blah, 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 blah. And so I go look at his... I go he's look a confrontational at his, monk? Yeah. I go look at his thing, and I'm like, I, I follow it to his blog, where he's writing, like, economical, uh, like, uh, pieces on how to in- interpret certain aspects of, the, uh, of John 3.16 or whatever. I mean, hmm. And 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 I read his blog, and I'm like, this is a Catholic scholar, but he's not a Catholic scholar who is uh, who is who is uh, sitting at at Notre Dame University trying to get himself, uh, you know, trying to get himself uh, appointed to the to the bench somewhere. This is a guy who's who's he's he's all the way up in the he's in, he's in, in it to win bank. it like he's he he's really there is. he's he's not just there to, to to climb the ecumenical ladder he's there because this is something that means a lot to him oh yeah so i start writing it back and i'm like well i mean we got this we got that we got to think about this we got to think about that and he's like hmm good points but what about this and that and all of a sudden i'm like arguing with this guy not even arguing where we agree on most things and and i you know and i and i pull back from my phone and i'm like okay you know, uh, point to Twitter. Like, I, uh, like, what am I doing? There's no science fiction book or film in the world that could make an action movie out of this, me sitting in a chair staring at this little black box. But really, I'm falling into this world of interconnected communication with people all over the place. And I don't... And so now I find myself, even though I've spent my whole life trying not to ever be a person who needs to get an iPad 3, let alone an iPad 4, when his iPad 2... iPad mini's pretty just, sweet, for what it's worth. <laughs> his iPad 2 works just fine. Like, I, I did not buy a CD player uh, ever. I don't even when, own a TV. When, when CD players came out in the late 80s, I was mm-hmm. like, this will never last. And I maintained that attitude all the way through the lifetime of CD players. <laughs> in 1999, I was still like, nah, CD players, I'm not going to get one of those. Those right. are junk. And so here, but here I am now finding myself socially dependent on my, on my interface machine that gets me into this realm. And I'm embarrassed about the time I spend on Twitter because only, only embarrassed in so much as I feel like if anybody asks me to justify it, I I still, I still don't have a very clear. You already, you've, you've thought through that and you don't really have 
an answer you're proud of. Right. Because, because do I get more out of, because so much of the, so much of my interactions on there are, are just like, it's just transitory. It's just people going like, ha ha, here's a picture of my fart. And you go click on the picture and it's a picture of empty air. And you're like, ah, of course you can't take a picture of a fart next. Retreat. And, yeah. And you're like, oh, wow. Uh, Paul F. Tompkins uh, has a, took a picture of himself uh, eating dinner. Oh, there he is. Took, Hi, a, picture, took a picture of John uh, Hodgman taking a picture of him. Hey, there he is. Hey. Okay, next thing. And then somebody's like, uh, oh, there, there are a bunch of people storming our embassy in Syria. And then I get really into some, you know, like intense kind of politics for an hour where it's like, oh, shit's happening in the world. And then Sarah Silverman's like, oh, my boob hurts. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> should I comment? And I go look and... There's 42 people that have commented on Sarah Silverman's boob. Let me roast for you. <laughs> and 43 of them are, I'll help you with that. Bonk. Like, I'm not going to comment on that. That's gross. And, and, and you're just, it's just this constant falling down the stairs. But, ev- <laughs> but every once in a while, every once in a while, something happens as you're tumbling down the stairs. It's like, oh, there's, they're storming our embassy in Syria. That's fascinating. Well, think, uh, we talked about like when, um, you know, at least when I was a kid and, uh, we first got MTV and, and the phenomenon of like, I just want to see, I want to wait and see what the next video is. Yeah, right, right, right. But, it's which is totally addictive. But like, imagine, imagine that the videos were talking back to you or yeah. you, or you were waiting. You know what I mean? That's, that's what you're experiencing yeah. is you're right. It is, it's like falling down, downstairs. But first of all, so I'm dependent on the machine now. Yes. I have this iPhone and I'm like, okay, well, if there's a new one of these iPhones that's faster, that shows Sarah Silverman's boob tweet in, in higher resolution. Yes. You know, and it's just like, I don't want to be that. I do not want to wow, be I bet that. she's really your type. Sarah? Yeah. She's, well, I mean, I, I, could th- I could think of a couple, three things about her that are in your wheelhouse. Yeah, she's pretty close, but, but, uh, yeah, I've, uh, not, not to be, uh, not to be the John Roderick in this episode of Roderick on the Line. Yeah. But I met her a couple of times. Crazy girlfriend? Uh, and we, uh, she, she, cra- actually, she, she crazy girlfriend material. She actually used the bathroom in my trailer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, when she came out, she said, don't tell anyone I use the bathroom. Hmm. And I said, I mean, it's fine. It's, it's an odd, she, odd thing for her persona to say. Yeah. And then she said, I don't use the bathroom. Do you know what I mean? Hmm. And, and, and I you like, don't keep secrets. Hmm, I wonder. Yeah. I'm, ta- I'm talking about it on a podcast now. That was many years ago. Yeah. But she was very weird about um, bathroom time. People knowing that she ever goes to the bathroom. That's an odd and thing that, to do in front of a, another a minor celebrity. That's and it's what it what it seemed like was it seemed like a window into her soul. Hmm. Like I don't know if you want. I mean, crazy girlfriend is one thing, and I and I will I will chase a crazy Jewish girl again across five continents. Hmm. But but not if she has. Uh, I don't go to the bathroom. No, that's that's not going to work. Well, first of all, of of the billions, the literally billions of different transactions that occurred on the internet in the last month, your exchanges with the Dominican are probably in the top point zero zero one percent. It was. It wasn't. It was, you know what I mean? Like all you have to do, go and search. They don't. We have a plan to get drinks, by the way. Me and the monk. Oh, nice. Yeah, the next time I'm in San Francisco, we're yeah, gonna what, 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 what do you suppose you'll both have? What, we have tea. <laughs> we're going to argue in in real time. Yeah, we'll probably. We'll probably go to a tea house. As a, t- a tea room? Is that what it's called? Is that yeah, what- <laughs> well, you're the one in, that lives in San Francisco. You tell me. I'll tell you where the tea rooms are. That's a great tea code word. That's over? a great code word. <laughs> but, but, you know, here's a, here's a, there's a line. Oh, I should shut up. There's a lot to say here. But, I had three cookies for breakfast, so I'm feeling What kind? Chocolate chip? Chocolate chip cookies, yeah. Um, we, you're we, a peanut butter cookie guy, aren't you? Mm, 
I'm not. I'm not a cookie guy. I'll eat a quart of ice cream at night, but I'm not a big uh, sweet eater. Okay. Mm. Uh, we we have an interesting constraint, you and I. Um, uh, I can't say this without saying it, but we uh, we are still have cause to provide information and artwork about our program from some people who are interested in helping to publicize it. Mm-hmm. And right now, the single biggest constraint, which is which is on me, is mm-hmm. to come up with presentable show art that they could use in a high-resolution environment. Now, why is this a problem? Because the show art for our program, which I happen to love because it doesn't look like the show art for a podcast, is a photograph of the two of us at the UCSF computer store in probably 2003 or 2004, and it was the day you bought your first Mac. Right. With the first uh, Mac, and it was a laptop, and we bought it with my wife's uh, discount, if memory serves. Right. But, but, but here's the problem. That photo of us shot i shot a picture of the monitor that was taking our picture right it's at the largest resolution i have of it which is <laughs> you, you smaller took it on a flip phone right i mean you still had a flip phone at that point yeah i did it was yeah. probably like a little samsung flip phone but the, yeah. the truth is that um podcast art for for popular podcast uh distribution facilities is 300 by 300 pixels i had to stretch it to fit into that, I had to I had to basically increase the size of it to re- in reducing the quality of it because that's what that is what a camera on your phone was. So just you're telling 10 me that if, if they want to put <clears throat> Roderick on the line up in on one of those LED billboards in Times Square, mm. you're saying I'm going to have to apply one of those half tone screens I love so much. <laughs> but anyway, and I don't want to get in. I don't. I, I don't want to get too far into the into the phone thing. Can you convert to paths? Uh, I can probably convert to paths. I, I might just go with a dither. I might go with an old oh, school yeah. Macintosh dither. Good. I like it. That yeah. was actually right before the Charleston caught on. That was the last great dance craze of the 20s. <laughs> the dither. The, well, you, the gotta go with, uh, you gotta go with her. You gotta go with her. You gotta put together with the Macintosh dither. Everybody kick it. And, <laughs> and, and I'm not sure where I'm going with this, but you know, yeah. I, I got, I have to come back to one part of the science fiction and then I want to get back to the suburban thing. Um, is that, is that to me, yes, science fiction, the least interesting part of science fiction to me is the sciency ooh rocket car stuff the part that appeals to me that we always can write about is that the human human nature never really changes right and and the part that we never seem to get over is that that is the case and and why am i telling you this because i honestly i think i've felt this and i think a lot of people feel this every day all i need is the whatever the the 45 4516b bread maker and i'll finally be where i need to be well you're never going to be where you need to be because your essential nature is to be keening toward the acquisition of something not even nominally interesting that you've decided is something that you really need to have and 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 i i'm hesitant to say that this is a suburban thing although i think in the suburbs it is worse it's certainly it it could be you want that beard it could be you want a curly uh, puby portland beard but Mm, but but the part about and again, I haven't read more than a half dozen science fiction novels. I've always enjoyed them a lot more than I thought I would. But that's what I always love about it is this idea that the, the take-home message of all the good ones is that human beings are always going to be meddling, um, selfish, um, and really basically unuseful people who, who look out for themselves more than others. And in the case of things like comics, they will always try to turn it into a weapon. That seems right. to be a big science fiction thing. We will always everything cool we get, like uh, T'Challa, for example, the Black Panther, who's the king of this country in Africa and one of the most powerful <laughs> of all. They have the cure for cancer, but they will oh, not. They will not. They, yes, they weaponized it. 
No, here's the thing. They don't want to give it to such they won't give it. They will not give it to Cap or anybody else because they know that Shield will turn it into a weapon. Oh, Shield. Terrible. I think, you know, I think the technology that most people fantasize. I'm gonna turn you around. I'm gonna fucking turn you around on this. <laughs> I think there I are think stories the, here that would help you, John. I know. I, but I just, I just, uh, our good friend Adam Pranica just brought me the, uh, bought me the uh, collected great uh, all, all the Fritz the Cat cartoons in one volume. Hmm. I read those the other day. That taught me a lot. Hmm. Um, that's, that's cat. That's cats having intercourse in sweaters. What is that? Yeah, that's exactly right. Cats in sweaters. Like Fritz the cat is a pretty lean cat. I used to he love the cats and sweater twins. And then <laughs> cats and sweater twins. <laughs> That's not even uh, funny. <laughs> but mo- I thought it was funny. Okay, thank but you. most of the uh, female cats in Fritz the cat are chubby uh cats in sweaters. Like Arkham looking cats. Yeah, kind of big big boobs and big behinds. And uh, boy, I'll tell you, that's talk about in my wheelhouse. Yeah. Oh, is that but, right? You like Arkham? Like Arkham Ar- Ar- didn't do that. That's uh, Ralph Bakshi. No, who did that? Uh, Arkham. Arkham Ar- did. Arkham did Fritz the Cat. Yeah. I mean, and and, and say what you, you will sure about, about Arkham. <laughs> yes, I'm sure. Hmm. I thought uh, it was Ralph, Ralph Bakshi did the movie. I guess. Oh, you're talking about the movie? Yeah, Ralph Bakshi did no, the movie. No, but he did. The, you're saying Arkham did Fritz the Cat? Yeah, Fr- Arkham did. I'm gonna double check that. I don't think that's, that's a, true. That's Ar- That's an Arkham joint. Okay, I stand corrected. But um. But I think the te- the technology that most people, when you really, really get down to it, the technology that they envy or that they covet is the technology of leisure time. Like everyone, when they really imagine what they would do, you know, what they're what what they really want, people maintain this. Like I want to move out to the country and you know and turn off all my electronic devices and listen to the wind whistle through the trees. I, I still think that that is a powerful fantasy for for most people uh I, and i feel that well, probably feel that because out, it feels completely out of reach because it feels completely out of reach that's right and because it seems like the only way that you could achieve that is by it is through earning money it's the it's the it's the the old thing that you hear in uh, what on so many college campuses on graduation day where people say I I want to do good things for the world. I want to I want to um, devote myself to helping other people. But what I need to do right now is make a lot of money first, and then I can be a liberal, and then I can help people. Have a social war chest after I after I go for ten years and work in banks. And uh, well, just look at how many times it happens every day. Oh, there's so many. The there's so many people who, who make six hundred and twenty thousand dollars a year on Wall Street, and then then give it up in their early thirties yeah, to become, become environmental activists. Oh, absolutely. Activists. Yeah, it's a, a very common experience. But but that <laughs> but that whole dream of like, I mean, I know a lot of people, and, and and I feel like the power of that dream may be waning because I hear about it less and less now. People are people are talking about achieving that state. I think people are conscious, and I'm t- when I say people, I mean you know like our our world, mm-hmm. our realm. Uh, people are more aware now that they have to continue to work in order to feel valid. Uh, that that no, nobody has this like let's go down to Florida and sit in a rocking chair for the last forty years of our life dream that our grandparents had. But this idea that you're going to have a ranch in Montana with five dogs mm-hmm. and you're going to get up every morning and walk through the fields with your with the top of your hand just barely grazing the wheat mm. like uh, like Russell Crowe in his death scene in Gladiator 
and Enya is playing in the background and you're just walking with the dogs chasing behind you, mm. just just brushing the wheat. I can enjoy that. Well, it's great. It's wonderful. And the, the thing that I always say to people who talk about that fantasy to me is Montana is really cheap to live. You could go do that now. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Well, um, one thing with the students today, and I, this is just my own anecdotal guessing, but I bet one reason that's gotten harder, to be honest, is the cost of going to college and the subsequent student loans. Mm. I, I, I don't know if this is accurate. I, I listen to just enough public radio to be dangerous, but I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure most people, <laughs> when they finish college today, have a pretty big tab, definitely a bigger tab than the average uh, graduate when you and I came out of school. I think that's true, and it and, and it begs the question... I met a person the other day at, at the Max FunCon event. You may have heard of this. This is Max FunCon East. This is Max FunCon East at Jesse Thorne Production. I met a person there who is a young person who uh, elected not to go to college in order to become a comedian. And this person, a uh, smart person, smart young person, and I'm, I'm listening to this story, and I'm thinking, what a radical idea. Like, smart, middle-class young person just didn't even consider going to college because college was superfluous to their desires. Like, they wanted to be an entertainer of some kind, a comedian or a writer. And the idea, that idea would not have occurred to me at 18 years old. I couldn't get into a college when I was 18 because of my, because my overall grades were F, 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 D plus F, A, A in newspaper. <laughs> but, uh, but the idea of, uh, the idea of going into adult life without first passing through the lens of college was inconceivable. It's, it's, uh, it, was, it would certainly feel extremely risky. Risky and just like you are, you're basically going, you're walking out into the world with a giant red L for loser on mm-hmm. your, on your jacket. And now, just as you're saying, <clears throat> you come out of college with a degree in sociology and you are $120,000 in debt. Ugh. That was not a very smart move on your part to go to college and get a degree in sociology. It just wasn't. I think a lot more people who uh, who are at that point in their lives are going to start just saying, "There's nothing, there's nothing that I'm going to learn in college that I don't already have access to on the internet, and I'm going to just go find my way through life on my own." Mm-hmm. Um, I really do feel that colleges are <sighs> colleges are pricing themselves out of uh, you know like into irrelevance. And we are going to look back at this era from 50 years in the future and say, oh, yeah, that was the moment that colleges became a um, – that the, the colleges completely lost – It's got to be close. Their game. You it's know what really, I mean? It's got to be close. Yeah. There's, there's it, another thing, though um, – when I was thinking about my former uh, former uh, racket as the the self help guy, um, you were great at that. By the thank way, thank you very much. So, something I have I've, it took me a while to figure this out, but and this does because uh, I've had coffee and everything uh, seems related. This does also shade into the, the speculative fiction stuff, which mm. is that um, 
things evolve at different rates. And so, for example, today, um, the, the rate at which technology becomes faster, more ubiquitous, less expensive, and more widely adopted, the pace of that change is not being matched by an evolution in uh, a wide, broad, you know, contiguous and agreed evolution in terms of how we use all that stuff. So, for example, a lot of those kids coming out of uh, college right now think email is for old people. You know, you know what I mean. They they just don't send emails. There are a lot. Oh of people- my God! I said to somebody the other day they were they were texting me or something, and I said, "Let's take this conversation to email," and they said, "Oh, classic style," hmm. and I didn't I didn't get the I didn't get the joke. <laughs> Oh my God! You might as, you might as well have said, "Let's let, let's let, let's let's have a beer at the Masonic Temple." Uh, you know, I think they were DMing me or something on Twitter, right. and I was like, "Listen, I don't want to have this conversation over DM." Well, here's my email address, and they were like, "Oh yeah, it's a classic style." Well, I mean, I, I you know, this is part of this is uh, that, that I'm a I'm a willful um, loner about a lot of these things. I don't have a presence on Facebook. You're an outlier. I don't. Everything I ever get from um, Evite goes into the spam filter. Mostly, I, I, I get such frustrated uh, things from people. I think this is a fairly common thing nowadays. Of like, you didn't, you didn't respond to my my thing, yeah. and I was like, oh, I'm sorry, I, I'm not very good at email. We're like, no, it wasn't on email. It was on Facebook, or, or you know what I mean. And the natural assumption is that a, I'm on Facebook. B, I'm following their Facebook, and <laughs> yeah. C, I use that to determine how I'm going to spend my night. Yeah. And like, I, you know, I, and, and I said this before, but like telling people I'm not on Facebook, you know, and I don't go out of my way to say that I'm not like, I don't have a TV guy. It's just, it's not yeah. a part of my life. I, I might as well tell them I worship goats with the mountain people. <laughs> they, it sounds to my family. It's so bananas. And, and then I get a thing from my kid's school and they're like, Oh, we put up the uh, photos from this event in this Google plus group. And like my, my heart sinks. And it's yeah. like, so, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is that, you know, with and that, Do you Instagram, no, <laughs> you know what i like my photos to look like photos oh look it's a picture of clouds that's handy uh, 40, Somebody, 40 I, more of those and i should be good i go onto facebook about once a week just to see what's going on it's on part there. of your profession and and i i went over there the other day and someone had left a message on my uh on my in my inbox on there. your wall no not on my wall not but on like your a, facebook like wall. a dm a dm uh, that was incredibly time sensitive like, like, I, you need to reply to you need to respond to this in the next thirty minutes, type of thing. And uh, and I was like, "Who do you take me for?" I mean, I do not. What does that What does that assumption say about another person? And, and, and I don't know. What's What's strange is that the person that left this message has my phone number and my email address, but that they that they sent this to me on Facebook, like. Yeah, but to. that's also a case of like they're they're using the medium that they did not think for one. With all due respect to your very good friend, who I'm not sure who it is, but but that You're person, about Jesse Eisenberg, they did not take half a second to stop and think about a is this really important? And if it is yeah. important, well then why don't I do a little bit of the heavy lifting to reach this person in the place where that will be most cogent for them to receive an urgent message? That could be phone, it could be whatever. But you know what? No, it's all about their convenience. And now back to the acceptance. But now it's your fault. You're the dick and they're mad. Well, uh, yeah, it may, it may have even been like a, a psychological 
this this person was trying this <laughs> what the message was was she has an 18 year old daughter this friend of mine for sale and the daughter for sale <laughs> and she wanted to she wanted me to have first crack at it you no, get first, she, uh, first right of refusal what's that called crystal knock when you get to have sex first <laughs> <laughs> you know talking about like in that yeah. movie with the kilt right yeah crystal knock is that what yeah. i'm thinking of uh, the little girl wanted to go to a rock show by a band called my seventh heaven or my diminished return or my, <laughs> I, I don't know what the band was called yeah, floppy some, hair kind band. Of, some kind of floppy hair gothy uh, emo band and her her mom wanted to take her to this show but it turned out the show was sold out and so she was writing me saying can you get me into this show and this is a girl that I know this is a, a, a woman I know well and I knew her daughter when she was young and now the daughter is 18 and this alone is a surprising fact and she wanted me to get them into this show, and it was like, it was like the show started in half an hour or something. But I, but I suspect she might have sent sent it to me on Facebook as a kind of like, uh, her daughter was sitting there, and this was her due diligence. Like, hey, oh. can you get us into the show? Oh, he didn't reply. Oh, I see. And maybe she didn't actually. <gasps> There's go another see layer to it. That's good. Yeah. Um, earlier you can never on, tell anymore. earlier on, when you were talking about Europe, I looked at my uh, my Tumblr page, and I, oh, I, I wasn't even aware so that this existed until fairly recently. But I have an apparently I have an inbox on Tumblr that what? I didn't know really? about. Yes, apparently people can. This is not a bad thing uh, in itself, but, but apparently people can send me the equivalent of I guess like a DM, like an email. You can send things called fan mail if you if you if you choose to do so, and I do not. You can ask me anything. Can these kinds of things? I don't can think you, you can poke. You could poke them if you uh, talk about them offline at the uh, Mason Hall. But, poke them if you got them. But I'm sitting here now, and understand, I didn't. I kind of got that this existed somewhere, but now in the redesign. Tumblr has added on their beautiful blue page a bright red rectangle that says 20 plus. And you it have says 20 plus messages on Tumblr. That's right. It says 20 plus. And so now I never ask to have that turned on. No disrespect to anybody who's kind enough to send me a message. But now every 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 place that can at this point will create some kind of an area that you have to check to not be a dick. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's to me is not that's not tenable. You 20 know? plus messages waiting for you, Merlin. There will always be 20 plus. And the thing is, if I click it, and this is a value for me, John Roderick, if yes. I go in there and I go and answer every one of those, well, that's setting aside all the things that I haven't answered in all these other places. Right. You know, an email <laughs> that I get from, and I, I don't mean, I'm not complaining about you yeah. people. I'm complaining about the, the number of affordances for trying to communicate with me that I never asked for. And yeah. I say this because when you, you know, and I understand that the, the, the reason that the Facebook request might have been tendered, but this is, this is a little bit like saying there's an urgent note, note that I sent you. Why didn't you get it? And I say, where is it? You say, I put it in the left and <laughs> the left shoe of your white bucks. <laughs> well, why aren't you checking your box? You'll get it in the spring. But do you see what I'm saying? Like, like, like to me, and I know, again, I'm an old guy. I don't know these things, but I, I have no idea how or why anybody would want to keep up. Even if you have, a lower volume of people interested in communicating with you. I can't understand why anytime you choose to have something on your attention radar screen, it should have to come with a thing you have to check. Are you? Have you checked in as the mayor of the uh, local dim sum place there? No, I haven't. Are you the mayor of the... I went the, in the uh, other day and I was hypnotized by his fingernails. Because of the amount of century-old dirt under them? Money and pork, yes. Have you, have you recently watched Big Trouble in Little China? No, is that Kim Cattrall? Yes. And Kurt Kurt Russell? 
Yes. Is this something you recommend? I've never seen it. You've never seen Big Trouble in Little China? I've never seen Buckroot Bonsai. Well, I haven't either. Okay. I'm gonna get. I'm in so much trouble right now because there was some. Uh, there, uh, I was part of some quiz show not very long ago, and one of the questions was Buckaroo Bonsai oriented, and I faked my way through it. I was like, "Oh yes, John Galt." <laughs> oh, you were you were, went, you were pass <laughs> you were passing. I did. I tried to pass as a Buckaroo bon- because th- here's the thing about Buckaroo Bonsai. For someone my age, <clears throat> Buckaroo Bonsai. Oh, well, and you're my age. You understand this, Buckaroo yeah. Bonsai was advertised to me as uh, as something on the level of Fletch. Oh, I think or, it's some people's uh, Money Python Jr. It's, right. a, it's a heavy source. It, w- it would be like my, not Princess Bride necessarily, like Spinal Tap maybe. Like Spinal like, Tap. I don't understand how you cannot understand my references to the Princess Bride and Spinal Tap, the two most quotable mu- movies of all time, right. apart from The Godfather. But I started to watch, I started to watch uh, Buckaroo Banzai sort of uh, the first time it appeared out of the theater so it would have been either on vhs tape or it would have been laser disc the first time it appeared on cable or something like that i tried to watch it and i was like "Hmm, nothing about this is interesting nothing appealed to me at all i tried it was yeah and i bailed out of it in the first little dry a little dry for me yeah it was dry that's exactly right but anyway so i so i faked my way through this buckaroo bonsai thing in the in the quiz show but now i've been outed Mm. I'm busted. Now, 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 how do you how do you respond to that? Now, are you going the big to big trouble in Little China, my mm-hmm. friend? First of all, Kim Cattrall when she was hot, yeah, hot, yeah. But also, it's I think a she gets sad... tie- I think she gets tied up in that movie. She does many times, but it's also uh, it's also a San Francisco movie. Mm-hmm. It will well, I like, help to, I like under- to catch all of those. <laughs> It'll help you understand the guy at the dim someplace. I think. Oh, because of the Little China. Hmm. Hmm. Now, here's of- the other thing: you you get the debt. And then, uh, and then the, the other problem is, and I don't know if it's a problem, but, but here's what I'm saying. It, when, when in 19, let's say you're Benj- Benjamin Braddock, let's say it's 1964, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. You get out of college and it was you, when you decided to join the, the Peace Corps or when you decided to move to Haight-Ashbury or when you decided to just disappear into helping this little village, you know, in, in Southeast Asia without any Facebook page. Like, that was, you were making a statement. You were in the CIA if you did that in 1967. Is that right? Nobody went to Southeast Asia to help a little village. Do you think they recruited um, a lot of hippies? Oh, well, <clears throat> they recruited a lot of Ivy League hippies. Hmm. The CIA was never Ivy interested in people that didn't go to one of four colleges. But but when you did that, you were doing more than trying to help somebody. Um, you were certainly probably trying to burnish your reputation and get a little more tail. But you were making a statement about society. You were hmm. saying, I am opting out mm-hmm. of this plastic society that we right. all know about now to go do this thing. Now, right. today, I think you get to be just as high and mighty by buying CFL bulbs. So on the hmm. one hand, you've got the debt. You go buy the CFL bulbs, you're spending less money so you can pay down the debt. And on the other hand, you get to be a giant dick about how your bread machine is green or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think that is that I think that is a real thing. I think that is I think that is a big difference from even twenty years ago when we were when I was uh, twenty two years ago I graduated from college. Well, it is I think that's right. And I think it is that the that the plastic society has become the plastic society was always a thing that you could be outside. And I don't sense anymore that it is a thing you can be outside you know uh, it was only <clears throat> what year uh, in 1999 right i walked from amsterdam to istanbul and i had no camera i had no certainly no phone no maps no decent maps <laughs> <laughs> but i but uh, but i was still communicating with home 
even though it was even though it had transitioned to email, I still was only able to communicate with home when I arrived in a town. I would check into a hotel or or or, or you know or a, find a place to stay, and then wander the town asking people I met on the street, "Do you know of a place that has internet?" And eventually, I would I would talk to somebody, and they would point. And I would wander up an alley, and there'd be a there'd be a place that had computers. And I would go in and spend fifteen minutes, you know. Right, right, right. This is you're saying I, this is nineteen ninety nine. Nineteen ninety nine. The year I got and, my first mobile phone. And I and I had no no. I mean, mobile phones were still three or four years in my future. Mm-hmm. And I would sit then, and I would tap out an email and send it, and then log off. Because I knew I wasn't going to get a reply to that email until the following day. And, if I, and then I would wake up in the morning at this hotel and I would go down to the same internet cafe where by that point I'd be on like fist bump level with the guys that were running it. <laughs> and I would log in, same process, you know, and you're paying by the minute. And, uh, and then maybe there'd be a reply waiting for me. And this was 12 years ago or so. So uh, now if I was walking from Amsterdam to Istanbul, I would have, I would be posting pictures right. and tweeting about it every hour. And there would be thousands of people following my progress. And that would, that would not be incidental to the trip. You know you what I mean? Be, you that might, would you be, might try to be mayor, mayor of the, some, some mountain in the Balkans. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would be, I'd be mayor of the, the, of the Vulcan mountains, but, but, uh, <laughs> but that would, it would not be <laughs> mayor of the Vulcan mountains. Yeah, they're they're actually. Is that a Philip K. Dick novel? <laughs> it would the, the the thing is that it would not it would not just be that I was that I was doing the same trip and I would just be documenting it. That that posting about it would become central to the trip. Absolutely, it would no? absolutely it would become almost almost like a companion because you'd start looking for things to photograph. You start yep. looking for experiences to Facebook, and you might yep. start looking for things that you could be the mayor of. Well, and people would be communicating with me and saying, "Oh my God, you have to go to this castle that I went to on my on my year abroad. It's only a two day walk from where you <laughs> I'm are." The Burgermeister of this Holocaust memorial, and and so the trip and the social networking would be inextricable from one another, right. and the entire time. I would be gone, but I would also feel like I was not gone. And, and, and in 1999, when I did this, I was completely gone. There were multiple, multiple days where if I had fallen into a hole, wow, there would be no way anybody could ever have traced to where I had disappeared. You know, the, my, the last time anyone heard from him, he was in this town. And <clears throat> it was four days until I was in the next town, and in that four-day time, I could have just gone away forever. Uh, and I was in places where that was, that was absolutely possible. And did, you, did you think about that when you were walking across those long stretches? The, the, the day that I introduced you to Google Maps, you spent, um, I think, an entire night zooming in on tiny pieces of Romania, trying yeah. to find one specific spot that I think is it's kind of an important thing in your book, too, right? It's yeah, like yeah, this well, one yeah. spot where something really big happened, and you were combing over that ground. That ground, there was not a lot of places for, for you to do check-ins, right? Oh, No. That was a place where I would have been, <clears throat> I would have been uh, animal food, and it wasn't. It's not that it was one place. It was that I crossed a I crossed a mountain range, um, where it was just where I was just uh, completely. I was not even on a trail. I wasn't even on a goat trail. I was just fighting my way through the forest, and 
and uh, that whole kind of two day period was a time where uh, even a sprained ankle would have been life threatening. That didn't freak you out at the time. Oh, it fucking freaked me out. <laughs> Oh my god! Especially I mean, with that broken ass backpack. That's why when you showed me that, uh, when you showed me Google Maps, I was like, "Oh my Go- god!" Because Google, this I guess was Google Earth, right? Yeah, this was a place where there were no maps. Even even the Romanian maps just had it as a big black area, and they had no sewer lids. There were no there were no sewers, and when I met people there, they were just th- this was the part of the country where I would meet people, and they would. And it would be inconceivable to them that I didn't speak Romanian, but that I did speak a language. Like, they understood, I guess, that there were other languages, but that that not speaking Romanian meant that I oh, was either okay. stupid or illiterate. But I did, have, I did seem to have words, and I didn't seem stupid, so what's this about? They, you know, they were like, that far off what we would consider the grid? Just off the grid. Jesus. And uh, so, but in any, in any case... The idea of doing a thing like that now, I don't think, I think it's a much, I mean, not that, the, not that there was a huge group of people 12 years ago who were walking from Amsterdam to Istanbul, but the number of people who would do it now uh, is probably still the same number of people, but, but fully 70% of even that small cast of people would be thinking about how they would document it, how they would tweet it how they would Instagram it. You know, the number of people it, who would do it with no technology on board uh, has shrunk to statistical irrelevance. And, I, and I'm not sure anymore. It, it isn't even a question of there being any un, unexplored places in, on the globe so much as it is that we no longer want to explore places in silence we no longer want to be but don't you away. think that doc that sense of documentation that's always been around if if you want if i'm just guessing if if it was okay if it was uh, in the early 50s and you want a chance to go backstage at the martin and lewis tv show you'd sure as shit bring a camera and get a photo Right. If you were if you were uh, if you were a volunteer for and 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 a Dominican monk, and you got the chance to uh, worked on Kennedy's campaign and got a chance to meet him, you'd get a photo and, and probably an autograph. Right. I don't know. You know, my friend Autumn DeWild, who is a uh, a rock and roll photographer, she tells this kind of famous story about uh, the first time she photographed Elliot Smith, and she went back years later after he died to look at you know to find that first roll of film that she shot of Elliot the first time they met. And, you know, this is a roll of 24 exposures or something. And she said she had three or four pictures of Elliot and then a picture of her cat and a picture of uh, a sunset. And, you know, this was 24 exposures, but when she, when she took a few pictures of Elliot, she didn't want to waste the film because a roll of film was valuable. So she got, you know, she got three or four exposures. <laughs> right. But then she needed to save that film because, you know, it basically that 24 exposures represented that month of her life. And it was pictures from all kind of all different places. She went all aspects and she was looking at it and thinking to herself, was I crazy? Why didn't I just take 
24 whole pictures of Elliot Smith. Like this was, oh, it was totally not how we used to think. It was early on in his, in his years. And, and the, these pictures now, those early pictures of Elliot are like some of her, some of the things that she treasures the most. And she, she's trying to get inside of her mind and think, why didn't I just blow a whole roll on this dude? You know, but she just, you know, she just took a couple of pictures and then had to save that film. So, I mean, you know, when I think about my own life, there are no pictures of me, Merlin, between the ages of 17 and 22. Really? <laughs> that, aren't, that aren't part of, like, King County Sheriff's Office? Yeah, right. Or, like, <laughs> uh, I mean, I think people at Gonzaga probably have them, pictures that were taken at parties and, like, I'm, in, I'm walking through the room or something like that. But... But no, no <laughs> like that picture of Lincoln at the Gettysburg Address. You got to <laughs> yeah, really zoom in. Got a blurry, like in the distance, and somebody's like, "What do you say?" See that sad by curious guy. But like, no, no pictures of me ever hopping a freight train. Of you know, no right. pictures of me on a train. Like none of those things were documented because, I mean, I, certainly there were people then who were taking who were taking. I mean, you remember those girls in college that had twenty five photo albums of parties. It was always photos of three girls smiling and holding a drink up to the camera. Like, like you know, there's always that like fr- fr- fraternity and sorority section of your college paper. It's just lots of pictures of, of white people at a party. Yeah, with red eyeballs. <laughs> right. But there were a lot of us then who, were not, who did not think of ourselves as photographers. And my instinct was not to document. My instinct was to do. And right, right. that instinct, I preserved that instinct until not very long ago. You know, I was thinking... There was a, there, there are so many people in my life where I had a profound experience with them on the side of the road somewhere where, you know, I arrived, like I was a really picky eater my whole life and I, and my picky eating, uh, there, there was, there was a pivotal moment where I stopped being a picky eater and it was at a little restaurant in Innsbruck, Austria and it was the middle of the night, and oh, is this the lady who who had you in? Yeah, like the lady oh, who that's an awesome brought story. me in and and had a, you know, and 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 served me uh, asparagus for the first time. And this woman and her little restaurant are, they are like a they're a flag planted in my imagination. And when my daughter is old enough to hear that story, she's going to hear it. She's going to hear it a thousand times, probably. <laughs> and when I am 85 years old and sitting in a rocking chair and somebody goes, would you like some asparagus? <laughs> I'm going to say, funny story. You know, I never used to have asparagus until this one time. <laughs> now, if I had documented that restaurant. <laughs> your, your asparagus with one bite out of it. Nom, nom. <laughs> Nom nom. If I had checked into that restaurant, or if I had blogged about it at the time and written it down and and uh, and yelped it, yeah, then that restaurant would not be a flag in my imagination in the same way. It would be a place that I, you know, that I could, that I would have pictures of, or that might still exist, that I might have tried to go back to at some point when I, you know, but but instead that experience happened happened in my memory in a way where my my memories are like are like fairy tales or nursery rhymes mm. like that version of Innsbruck Austria exists in my mind as something out of snow white and the seven dwarves right and i have no 
I have no scrapbook about it, and I don't want one. Yeah, and, and like if you had that today and looked at it, you might, in the same way you look at any old photo, you would notice, you might notice funny things like, oh, look at that old Time magazine. Yeah. Or like my, one of my favorite photos of my, my mom and dad. The first thing, I, I love the fact that they're hugging it. It's this great like moment. And I always notice how the, it's an old, very, very old can of Coke from 1972. Uh-huh. That's the uh-huh. first thing I always notice is the Coke in it. Yeah, I mean, I, well, I, tra- I, I, I treasure I, that I, photo, but it, it, but like the f- the photograph and the act of photographing, not to be all fucking you know Susan Sontag or whatever, but like <laughs> somebody was a woman, but but uh, but that this changes the whole Susan experience. It changes, but but there's more. There's yeah, also- right. I look at a picture of this woman and she'd have white power tattoos on her knuckles that I didn't notice at the time. <laughs> I'm so excited about. <laughs> Vice, vice power. I need more fingers. Um, here's the, here's the other thing that's really funny though. Like I, uh, I, I have a uh, a pastime, a hobby in San Francisco, which is finding, uh, look, noticing. Um, uh, tourists who are taking photos of themselves and their friends, and it's it's a thing I do. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you ever seen me. I, I will all. I do this all the time. I walk up and I say, "Hey, would you, would you like me to take a photo of you?" Right. I'd be happy to take the photo for you. And 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 almost invariably, they say, "Oh my God, yes, thank you." You do do that. That's very generous of you. And I'll tell I've you what that. I do. I'll tell you what I do. First of all, I I say, "Well, take right a now, of their crotch." <laughs> Zoom in on I do. An, I do a while they're looking at this camera. My shoe camera is getting there. No, no, I, I do several things because part of my job is to educate. I say, well, first of all, um, right now you're what's called backlit. You got the sun behind you, so why don't we do it this way? Let's get nice. this solid background behind you. If you want one of you with the Golden Great Cape Bridge in the background, why don't we do it from this angle? And I'll show you. You art direct it. I do art direct it because I know how many shitty pictures people ever take. But you know what the important thing that I do? I never take fewer than three photographs yeah, of those smart. people that's because smart. i when i was you know coming around to trying to become a better photographer a few years ago before i got sick of carrying a five pound camera with me everywhere um i i learned that if you take six photographs of the same thing there will first of all there will be at least two or three that are markedly different yeah. and there's very likely to be one that is an order of magnitude better than the others for no reason that an amateur like myself could identify. So, Agreed. so th- here's a couple funny things. Funny thing one, it's amazing. Yeah, you'll see people who take 50 photographs of the same blurry 20 year old man playing guitar on stage that's not useful to anybody. You'll see they'll post these stupid fucking videos on YouTube that are of no use to me. Try and find a good built to spill live video. Here's what they all sound like. <laughs> <laughs> That's every live Built that's to Spill what, that's show. That's what Built to Spill sounds like in person. I think, I think he's got better finger work than that. But two funny things. One is that, yes, people still, for an important event, will take this one photo and then jump straight into putting it on Facebook or whatever. But you know what the other thing is? And this is just an admission. Um, because I have a guilty conscience about having been somebody who would like try to get myself photographed with famous people. Like I wish there were more photos of us five dudes hanging out when I was in Seattle, but I felt like like I would feel like kind of a dick to go. Let's do this. You know, the photo we got of the five of us sitting together was not us. It was Chad. Chad's the one that took a photo of the five of us in our tuxedos sitting around backstage. We should have had a whole bunch. We should have shot. We should have had somebody professional come in and take really cool pictures of us that we could use for stuff. You're but right. We, but we didn't because on the other hand, on the one hand, like now I'm I'm a little bit gun shy. Think about the way I was in that booth where we got interviewed. I don't know if you noticed this, but short of being unprofessional, I did everything I could to stay out of the camera. I stayed mm-hmm. right over the edge talking to your PR friend because I did not, I don't want to be part of the 
photograph everything culture. It's not privacy. It's not anything. But now, like that, it's funny that with the ubiquity of those devices, I'm a little gun shy now about just taking pictures of people for fun. Whereas we used to like, and as precious as those were, on the one hand, that lady has some wonderful photos of Elliot Smith and of her cat. Mm-hmm. But like, why would you not take five rolls? Because it was expensive. Now today, <clears throat> nobody has the thought to take five photos of their bachelorette party together that are good. Look yeah. at them in the camera. Don't just chimp and take a yeah. photo in the midair. Like take a good photo like a gentleman. It's just – it's another one of these things where I think the the culture has not caught up with the technology and the parts of the culture that do catch up with the technology are sometimes a little bit paradoxical or contradictory. Well, the Library of Congress is archiving all of our tweets and – Thank God. And presumably – presumably – I mean everybody – Everybody assumes, I don't, and I don't think this is necessarily true, but everybody assumes that all of our uh, Flickr photos and all of everything is archived forever. But we are creating, <clears throat> we are creating a tale of frozen experiences that no one will ever sift through. Right. How could you? How could you possibly sift through the billion photographs of three I girls. I still haven't organized the photos cups. of my kids' first year. There's just too many in different places. Yeah. I'm paranoid about losing them, but I have, uh, you know, since then I take two photos a year. But I've got, but you know what I'm saying? Just from the yeah. first year, every, I've got every thousands of photos. Every photograph that exists of my grandmother's entire life, I own in a shoebox. Right. You know, every single one I can, I can, and I can tell you every one of them. Every single photo of my dad I have, unless there are, you know, there are some in other people's photo albums floating around, and those people's kids don't know who my dad is, and when they're going through their parents' old photo albums, they're throwing those pictures away, just as I throw away pictures of people in my dad's photos that I'm like, who is this, some some guy that worked on the pipeline that my dad took his picture in 1972? Like, don't need it. And, And there's something about that culling that is very important to me. It's why every time I open up my iPhoto, as I'm looking through photos, I am just deleting. Right. Uh, not, not, not deleting. I mean, I'm just going through and like, I don't need that one anymore. I don't need that. I don't need that. Just as a way of trying to, trying to order it with some kind of semblance of, you know, if, if Autumn DeWild was taking that role of photographs of Elliot Smith today, she would have 700 pictures. And I'm not sure if the additional 695 pictures we need, or at least those five that she took are, are treasures, even the one that's a little out of focus. And I mean, I honestly, I honestly can't say, uh, we are old, you and I, we, we, well, we, we, yes, we certainly are. My eyes and my ears ring. My eyes ring. I just got a new, I just got a new brand of generic Adderall. And so I wanted to go to, uh, use this pill identifier site you can go to, to find out what any pill is. (laughs) And it's really cool. You go in, you should try this with what you got. You go in there. I don't have any pills. Okay, good for you. Uh, you should try this with your coffee beans. And you go up there and, uh, and you just enter in whatever letters are on it. And right. it very magically shows you what you've got. What did this tell you about your over-the-counter cheap Adderall? I should let you talk more. And um, <laughs> that's what it said. It was right there. It said it's made by uh, – anyway, but uh, I, John, it was so fucking funny. I'm sitting here in the admittedly somewhat dim and comfortable 
golden light of my office that I, that uh-huh. I keep a certain way. And it, I, I've never looked more like an old man in my life. Cause I'm doing that thing where I used to be, you hold it a certain place and you can see it. So then <laughs> I, I'm doing this Frank, Benjamin Franklin esque or like Lywin L- L- hook thing. Is Lywin hook the, micro, the microscope guy? I'm doing <laughs> You're this looking th- over the top of your glasses. <laughs> I'm pulling it to arm's length and then I'm pulling it up close. Okay. It gets worse. And now I'm putting it next to the dim Ikea light and I'm like, fuck, fuck. I what does it say? I go into my, the bathroom where I have four 23 watt, which is like, you know, which is hippie for hundred watt giant light bulbs in my bathroom. Cause I like a well lit bathroom. I go in there and I have to turn the lights on and stand so that I can see the subtle shadow. Oh, this is this is this is why I need glasses. But I uh, oh, it's awful. I can't see in the dark anymore either. You need a magnifying glass. You need a big Sherlock Holmes style magnifying. <laughs> like glass. Grandpa doing the crossword. Kind yeah. Of. <laughs> what does that say? Now here's a question for you. With all of your all of your secret internet drug connections, can yeah. you get ketamine? Is that uh, for k holing? Ketamine is like an animal tranquilizer and kind of a PCP. Sure, I can get you that. But somebody said somebody sent me a thing on online. Uh, it was a, a link to an article in the Yale Medical Journal that said small doses of ketamine mm-hmm. are a uh, are like have been found to be an instantaneous cure for depression. Hmm. You take this ketamine and within uh, uh, within 45 minutes like your brain that's, has that's really almost biblical. rewired itself. Now it doesn't last. It only lasts a few days or 7 days or something like that. But I would be very interested in trying this. Ooh, ketamine is on the list schedule one yeah. schedule actually schedule three in the u.s three, yeah. hey, that's not too bad uh ketamine is on the list of of uh, those drugs you know like uh like, like yeah, paragoric monkey monkey adrenal glands and stuff that i never got around to taking during the drug years huh uh, I, I, but, will, uh, I will say that there are things that one is not supposed to have that that can be acquired mm-hmm um, I have discovered in the past before I got, and someday I will tell you what I have to go through to get a, a prescription filled each month. It is fucking medieval what I have to go through. It's ridiculous. Cause, cause the thing is, I, uh, the stuff that I take for my stuff is speed. So yeah. I have to go and get a physical prescription. I have to, and so, which means I've got to go drive across town, pay for parking, go in, pick up a piece of paper, go back, pay for my parking and leave, go somewhere and drop it off. I have to do that every 30 days. You can't just do it online. On the, well, I have to do it every 30 days on the dot. Otherwise uh-huh. I run out. You get, you know, 30 days oh, worth. This guy I follow on Twitter, Daniel Shannon. I know Daniel has- Shannon. Yeah, he's been talking about the fact that he ran out of uh, Adderall uh, because uh, the pharmacy was closed because of uh, Hurricane Katrina, Ugh. and he's been sitting it, uh, on a on a toadstool or whatever <laughs> in his apartment for the last four days with none of his meds and uh, and just uh, falling deeper and deeper into some kind of crazy hole. And he's yeah. just wait he's waiting for this. He's waiting for this pharmacy to open on Monday morning or something. He's gonna. He has to put on snowshoes to get over he there. He's in to like Chicago, this. right? No, he's in New York. But, New York, okay. But uh, oh, so it's, 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 well, I have to tell you, there's not even snow on the ground. He just has to put on snowshoes because that's what his brain is telling him. That's why he needs the medication. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, homosexual men on toadstools. They they like to have their snowshoes. He's a riot, by the way. But <laughs> yes. um, uh, I'll tell you a funny one. Uh, well, first of all, I take less than I'm 
than I am prescribed. That's always a good idea. Yeah, because I mean, it's and and I am have gotten full. I well, I shouldn't say this, but you know, I've got I want to say carte blanche with, but within reason, I should take the amount that makes me feel good and mm-hmm. doesn't give me side effects. And sometimes for me, that's less than I have to. So I'm fortunate that I've got a little bit of wiggle room. But I'll tell you, tell me, I don't know. Have you ever known people that take um, uh, what's the sleep one that everybody takes? Uh, oh, Ambien. Ambien. Have yeah. you ever known an Ambien person? You mean one who gets up in the middle of the night and has like group sex and then doesn't remember it? No, I had, I had, I had, I had one of those. Oh, let me tell you about that one sometime. I had the one uh, that was on This American Life that makes people gamble and have intercourse. I had, I had a prescription for that once. Oh, really? And yeah, it makes, it make you, you shop on the internet and have intercourse and gamble. And then not remember it? I can't remember. Wow. Yeah. If you'd laugh, there would have had a bell. The, um, <laughs> and I have to pee so it bad. Was, it was better that I didn't laugh. I've never. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. I've known some Ambien people. I have an Ambien user in my family for whom he or she, the, let me just say, the idea. So, I mean, you've, you've had um, intoxicants that you used on a regular basis in the past. Yes? Yes. Have you ever had the feeling of, oh my gosh, I need to get more of this? Yes. Okay. Well, just the very prospect of his or her prescription running out. This is fucking ridiculous. When she's very close to running out, she loses it. If she thinks that, you know what I'm saying? Like so she's she visiting in a different state and there was a confusion with the prescription. She goes, uh, normally like very sane person, she goes like off her nut at the prospect what? of it not, abstractly not being, she's still got some. But That's the idea why drug that, people hoard. I mean, you got to always have a, you got to always have a, a, like a st- uh, stockpile. You mean like, like swords that. and military hats? Yeah, like like Sauron uh, sitting, uh, not Sauron, Smog, like Smog sitting on his. Uh, uh, Bill horde Callahan of, is that his name? Not not that Smog, Smog <laughs> the Dragon sitting on his hoard of dwarvish gold. I am Star Wars today. <laughs> bam, bam, bam. That's deep catalog. Yeah, but you know it's it's uh, it's it's hard when you when you when you take the drugs and you get it. I'll tell you though, there's other many other things that I've taken for various other things that yeah. I'd much rather be not out of than, uh, yeah. than this stuff. But like like oh my gosh, you know with the like soda uh, water when you run out of soda water, you go bananas. <gasps> oh, it makes me so crazy. I I do, and uh, I, I I stack up. But you know, I was on a um, because of my uh, downstairs my my basement problem. I was on steroids for a while. I was on oh, right. uh, prednisone, and you've got to taper that off because like if you're if you run out of that you are mega fucked why what happens because your body while basically it's as as you know i'm 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 not a steroidal uh, physician but my understanding is that it it heavily you know it's a steroid it like it gives you lots of extra steroid activity but that also causes your body to produce much less naturally and i'm given to believe this is true for many different kinds of drugs and so if you don't taper the shit out of a steroid like you're going to be in a really bad way. Oh, yeah. I I don't really even I guess know what steroids do. I don't either. I, I, I guess I, they make you bulky. They get you moon faced. You can get all moon faced. Yeah, you ever seen pictures of Jerry Lewis when he was moon faced? Yeah, I have. Well, you know, all half the people in Wales are moon faced. Is that is that a natural a natural thing or the drinking or the poetry? What causes that? I think it's yeah, it's like a gummo thing. It's a drinking country, isn't it? Wales. Yeah, I think they drink there. Hmm. I'm pretty sure they do. They drink to forget or drink to remember. Oh, they're Celts. Hmm. They drink. They drink uh, just to. They just drink to get by. Yeah. They came to get down. They came to get down. 
Oh, so you got to get up your seat and jump yeah, around? Jump around. That's right. Pop quiz. The Matrix, Bill yeah. and Ted's Excellent Adventure, and to a certain extent, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. What Uh-oh. do they have in common? Uh-oh. Uh, um, uh, the Mat- I'll, read it, I'll read it again. The Matrix, yeah. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, yeah. and Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. First of all, have you seen all three movies? Yes. Excellent, dude. Most excellent. Um, yes. All three uh, rely very heavily on payphones. In the Matrix, oh. they use a payphone to to do that little uh, travel dealy. Right, right, right. Uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. They travel in a phone booth to go right. through times. Right. And Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Some of the most poignant moments happen uh, when Jack Lemmon's on a payphone. Right. I'm, I'm setting aside Dial M for Murder. I'm setting aside all of the various '70s cop shows that depended. Oh, fucking Dirty Harry! You couldn't have Dirty Harry. Is it Dirty Harry? Magnum Force. Dirty Harry. Dirty Harry. You, you couldn't have without payphones. Wow. There's so many stories that when you watch the movie now, if you showed these to a kid today, they'd be like, "Why don't they just?" You know, it's like Roger Ebert, not Roger Ebert, Gene Siskel's rule that, like, you know, no movie. No movie should ever involve an easily overcome misunderstanding. Like, that's a French play, not a good uh-huh. movie. <laughs> I don't understand. You're not really having sex in here? <laughs> uh, why did I kill you? What, what was that one not very long ago with uh, Colin Farrell where he was trapped in a phone booth and there was a sniper? Oh, I bet it was called the phone booth or the booth. That, yeah, that wasn't that long ago, right? It was, no, that was well, a- the Matrix, I mean, to me, the Matrix is part of the modern age. Matrix, like, it's like Rushmore. It's from that period when, you know. But they have to get to a phone booth. Yeah, they got to get to this one phone booth. And the phone rings with the uh, the, the guy with the glasses. And yeah. he, he, anyway. Wow. <sighs> I should pee. You got anything else? You, you doing okay? I'm doing fine. Yeah. I'm a little tired. I thought that was a really good episode, but. But uh, we we uh, we didn't we didn't find exactly. No, that. no, I'll find a dinger. There's a there's a there's a dinger in there. We, it was in the middle of something, but I can cut it off. I got to pee yeah. really really bad. Yeah, I got to poo. Okay. Oh, good, good, good. Okay. Well, I'll uh, I'll talk to you soon. Okay, you're the best, Merle. You too, buddy.